Happy New Year, CLC. Uh, something interesting about the New Year calendar that brings this like nature of excitement. Um, as you think about like gym memberships and new resolutions that you might have, um, today I have a passage that's kind of old. Um, a few years ago, actually. I preached from 1 John at a retreat, 1 John like chapter 3, and then I just thought, man, I should just finish the rest of the book, so that's what I did. It took me a few years, but I finished the rest of the book. Now I want to go backwards, start at chapter 1, verse 1, and try to finish the whole book in its entirety. So it's an old passage or old book, but I'm very grateful that we're studying this passage, especially at the beginning of the new year, because I think it's relevant to our church, and it will help, hopefully help us set some good habits um, this upcoming year. Sermons are pretty good for diagnosing where our hearts are. As we hear God's word, it's good to think, man, how is my heart doing? Like, really, Sunday service is a great opportunity to have that diagnostic test. How am I doing? Am I spiritually alive? As I hear true things about God, does it resonate in my hearing? Like, do I, does my heart respond well to it? Or is it just that familiar thing that they always talk about? Um, I'm guessing that as we approach this passage, this text, um, we'll hear things that we've heard before, but again, how does our heart respond to it? Like when Elias, um, he likes it when I read books to him, but we have to read the same books over and over again. But it's almost like I read it for the first time and he's like amazed. Wow. That red wagon thing, I don't, I don't even know all the details, but like, you know, the, that story that he's heard so many times before, it resonates with him. He enjoys hearing it again. Read book, read book. That's what he says every night. So as you hear the sermon, as you read through this text, how is your heart doing? How are you responding to God's word? Um, and really, sermons are both diagnostic, like they tell us how we're doing, but they're also the treatment. They help us. As I hear God's word, I can figure out how my heart is doing, and then as I see a need, I can say, God, use your word to do something in my heart. So that's what I want to pray for right now. Um, I'm pretty confident that some of these truths, as we revisit them, they'll be helpful. But I want to pray that God would give us hearts that are open. So let me pray, then I'll read the passage. Father, I pray that you would make your word plain, understandable, relevant. I pray that you would give us open hearts, ready to receive, um, magnify your son, Jesus, and God, unite those who place their faith in him. Make us one. Make us unified for your glory and our joy. Amen.
Um, our passage comes from 1 John. I'll read the verses, only four of them. 1 John 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want to set a trajectory for where this letter is going. I want to kind of give you some, a framework for how this letter is developed through the chapters. And I think the best way to do it is to just use the two purposes that John lists in these verses. So I want to go through those two purposes and then try to apply it in our church context. And if you're taking notes, the main point of the sermon, the main point of this passage is this letter is meant to bring people into the family of God. So bring them into, they were out, now we're bringing them in, and to maximize the family's joy. So first purpose, fellowship with us. The first purpose that the author gives doesn't come into verse 3, but just a few things before we get there. First, notice there's no introduction. There's no sense of who wrote this letter. Usually that's a common thing with New Testament letters. There's no greeting. There's no, hey, how you doing? Hope all is well. The letter doesn't even mention who wrote it, but most scholars believe that it was written by John um, based on early church tradition. Second, based on the fact that the author says that he was with Jesus. He saw Jesus. He heard him. He even touched him. So this is somebody near Jesus. And then third, it shares so many similarities to the Gospel of John. Um, that's the second observation. If you are familiar with the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John starts in this weird way, at least weird to me. It says, especially verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, no greeting, no, hey, what am I doing here? It's just, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So notice, John is spending time unpacking who Jesus is. He's referring to Jesus, but in this gospel, he's saying, hey, Jesus was the word of God. He was with God. He eternally existed with God. And the word of God, what does that mean? Um, I think I was doing some research, and... The best way that I have come to understand it is the word of God, or that term word, for the Greeks, it would mean something that, it's like this connection between that which was, that which was transcendent and that which was material. So it's kind of like, I'm going to connect 
this transcendent God to a material world? And how does that connection take place? Through the word, logos. Another study that I found was Hebrews, the Israelites. They would hear the word as this is God's will, his desire, his nature revealed to mankind. So when John is using this idea of the word, he's essentially saying something about God was made accessible to humans through this word, and that's Jesus. That's what it means that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14, the word became flesh and revealed who God the Father was. Our passage today articulates that very similar thought. 1 John 1, 1, it says, That which we have heard, that which we have seen, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, the word of life, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life. So there's this thing, there's this word that was revealed that was made manifest so that we can see it, and it reveals who God is. So do you hear the parallels? Jesus was from the beginning. He existed with the Father. He was called the Word, eternal life. And John is making clear that Jesus is the focus of this letter. In verse 3, it becomes even clearer. He mentions that Jesus is who he's referring to, but I think it's important to recognize John is mentioning that he saw Jesus, that he heard him, that he even touched him because it strengthens his claim to what he's about to say. He's trying to say, hey, Jesus, everything that I'm going to tell you is about him, and I was with him. I, I was talking to him. I was listening to him. I was touching him. So if I say something about Jesus, you should believe it. I'm giving you firsthand information about Jesus. And that's important because if you go through the letter of 1 John, you'll see 1 John is dealing a lot with a false teaching people who are saying things about Jesus that are not true. So what John is trying to do is say, hey, don't believe them. Believe me when I tell you something about Jesus because I was with them. I'm just passing along the message that he gave to me. So John is trying to make clear, hey, listen to me. I'm telling the truth. I was with the guy. That's what verse 3 says. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Jesus, the word of life, eternal life, came down, spoke to John and others, and John is just passing along that message. And what does it mean, fellowship? So that you too may have fellowship with us. I mean, that it's like, a, I don't know if we use that word in normal conversation, but essentially it's like, relationship, so I can have an association with. We're sharing things together in common. Then, 
in that same verse, John raises the stakes just a little bit. He says, believe me because I was with him. And if you want to have fellowship with me, believe what I'm saying. But if you want to have fellowship with God, you still need to believe what I'm saying. Meaning, if you follow these false teachers, you won't have fellowship with God. I'm telling you the truth because what I'm saying leads you to fellowship with God. If you go against this truth, you don't have fellowship with God. 1 John 1.3, it says, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So listen to what I'm saying so that you don't miss out on fellowship with God. Now, there are two things to note here. Essentially, John is drawing lines in the sand. He's saying, this is my group. These are my disciples, people who are listening to what I'm saying, and we have fellowship with God. And if you go against this, you don't have fellowship with God. All throughout this letter, there are contrasts being made. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, notice the contrast. If you love, you've been born of God. If you don't love, you have not been. And then there's also this desire for unity. That's, a, that's, that's why he's painting this picture. That's why he's saying there are those who believe this and there are us. He's saying, believe here, believe me, so that you might be united with us. I want you to have fellowship with us. Don't go away from the truth. Don't follow after these false teachers because you will miss out on your fellowship with us and with God. I was thinking about this. Um, like my cousins, I have lots of cousins. I have lots of aunts, uncles, but I have lots of cousins because they all had kids. And I don't really talk to them, strangely, unless it's like a gathering. It's the rich uncle. I talk to them because, you know, their parents might die and they might include me in the will or something. I'm hoping. Like, I'm, I talk to them. And we have a group message. And it's just the, my siblings and the three cousins from that one dad. And about five years ago, I was just about to get married. And we were talking, like, hey, you know, I'm about to get married. So what should we do about this group text? Should we include our spouses? No. And I was like, OK, well, I guess my wife doesn't get involved. Like, she can't be a part of this text. And I, I love the text. It's so, it's like, you have privacy. You have just jokes and comments that are understandable to everybody who's involved. But my wife, she has no clue what's going on. And then there have been three marriages since that. None of them are in that group text. They don't get the privilege of being a part of us. That's not how John is operating here. John is saying there are dividing lines. There are those and us, and 
I want you to be a part of us. He's saying, please, come this way. I'm writing to you. I'm taking this time to speak to you so that you can come and join us. I want you to have fellowship with us. John is saying, the door is open. Come, join us. That's why I'm saying that one of the purposes of this letter is to bring people into the family of God. And even deeper, the purpose is to bring them in and keep them there. So I'm telling you this, these true things so that you are not deceived and drawn away from truth. Second purpose, the fullness of joy. Verse 4, John says, and we, write, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, this is the second purpose of this letter. And just a few observations. Jesus is echoing, or John is echoing Jesus. So Jesus in the Gospel of John, verse 15, says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is speaking. Joy is going into those who listen, and joy is increasing. It's, being, it's becoming full. John is saying, hey, I'm just passing along the word. I want you to hear the words of Jesus so that joy may go into you and your joy might be full. That's the goal of this letter. And as you read this letter, you'll see that John is not making up his own message. He's repeating again and again Jesus' words in his own letter. It's just like, hey, I'm just a channel. I'm just, just a vessel. I want you to hear Jesus' words so that your joy may be full. Second thing to notice is this idea of like completeness of joy. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to have joy that's full? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can process it. But I think one thing that it's clear in this letter is John is not being selfish. When he says, I want our joy to be full, like, there's a possibility you could read that and say, Oh, he means like if you join our group, then all of our joy will be full. But I think, it's, I think he means himself. I think he's talking about himself. I think he's saying, I want my joy to be full. I want my joy, our joy, my joy to be full. The reason I say that is because in 3 John, this is the third letter that he writes. It says this, I have no greater joy than to hear what that my children are walking in the truth. So think about it. John is hearing that others are following Jesus, and that gives him joy. He's happy. He's delighted in the fact that other people are following Jesus. John believes that a right relationship with God is the greatest experience of joy that there is to be had. So if people have that right relationship with God, then I am so happy. It, it makes me happy to see others happy. And that's what I'm saying. If you put these two purposes together, you see, wow, John wants people to be in the family of God, but he also wants joy, that family's joy to be maximized. Like, I'm not really big into trends, um, 
and I don't like taking pictures, but in October, um, I saw this really good deal on some family pajamas, and I bought some for my family. For the kids, my wife, I was thinking, like, this is gonna make her happy, you know? She's gonna be so happy. So, you know, October came and went, November came and went, we never wore the pajamas, just sitting in a drawer. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to Chicago. I should wear them for Christmas. Like, I should take them to our family gathering, wear them. And I took them, um, but we didn't wear them. I don't know why, but we just didn't wear them. I got to my mom's house, my parents' house, and my mom, she had us, Every, all the people, she had, she gave them gifts. Everybody who was there, she gave them gifts. And she had us open them all at the same time. And guess what? Family pajamas. Family pajamas. Like, lots of family. It's multiple family pajamas. Like, I think I had maybe at least two, maybe three pairs of pajamas that were all matching everybody else in the room. It was crazy because my sister-in-law was visiting from the UK. She got family pajamas. Like, everybody got family pajamas in that room. For some reason, I was kind of annoyed at that because, I don't know, like maybe it was because like I thought it was lame in that moment or um, maybe I was just jealous. Like, man, look at my mom, she's like showing out. I got family pajamas for my family. She gets them for the whole family. But then I heard my family like just expressing such great gratitude and thankfulness. And I was like, man, I guess something's wrong with me. Okay. And then they were like, man, these pajamas are so soft. And I touched one of them, and they were so soft. It was crazy. It was the softest pajamas I've ever had in my life. So uh, something moved my heart. and. My friend was there, and he's a professional photographer, so I said, hey, take a picture of us. And he took a picture. We got free pictures. Everybody's so happy. You see, John is not like me. He doesn't think like me. He doesn't say, oh, I just want my family pajamas, you know, for my family, for these, these two. No, he's like, who, who wants family pajamas? Please, come, come. If you want to be a part of us, come, hear my words, believe my words, believe Jesus. I want anyone and everyone who can come, come. I want your joy to be complete. I want you to be happy in God. And I think this was helpful as I thought through this. Man, is that my attitude when it comes to the family of God? Am I like yo, I'm experiencing something great here, and it's my joy to see others experience this because I know it's good for them. Please, let me tell you about it. That purpose of maximizing family's joy is, again, what's driving this letter that John writes. This letter was meant to bring people into the family of God and then maximize that family's joy. So I want to close with two applications. Um, one is pastoral, one is personal. Um, 
pastoral. So as I was studying this passage, um, I was just noticing some thankfulness in my heart for CLC and the pastors and the various leaders. Like from what I can see, CLC leadership, they spend time trying to get truth correct. Like what does the Bible say? What does it mean? I want to know so I can get it correct, so I can tell others about it. And, you know, like we live in a world where truth is like on a spectrum. Like how you deal with truth is on a spectrum. You know, there are some people, like one of my favorite rappers, he says, people can be so open-minded that their brain falls out. You know, like truth is relative, no absolute truth, which is weird because even that statement they're trying to make an absolute truth but while denying an absolute truth, but they don't even realize it. But that's, that's how people are. But then there are some people who say, mm, you don't need to know precisely what it's saying. Just get around it, you know? Just, just be around the truth. And, and even that's problematic. But CLC, the leadership, they're trying to say, what does the Bible say? Even if it's unpopular to hold it, even if it's not getting you applause and smiles, they're trying to be clear as to what Scripture is trying to teach. And that's, that's what John is doing. He's saying, I want to give you what I've heard from Jesus so that you might have fellowship with us. I want you to believe not my words, but Jesus' words. I want you to believe Scripture so that you have fellowship with us. And I was thinking, one way that we illustrate this as a church is communion. See, communion is here at least. We all gather together, and then we take the bread and the drink, and we all eat it at the same time. What are we doing? We're illustrating that this church is united around this one Jesus. This one man who came and died to take away our sins. As we place our faith in him, we can have forgiveness from God. The ugly thoughts and motives and desires of our hearts can be cleansed because of what Jesus has accomplished. He died, he was slaughtered so that we might be spared. That's what we're celebrating with communion. And if you're not a Christian, I don't even know how you think about that. Like, if you're here that day, you're like, oh, they're doing that thing again, eating that stuff. Like, we, we try to tell people, hey, if you're not a Christian, don't take this. What are we doing? We're trying to say, this is uniting us, but it's also dividing. We're, we're united because we have faith in God, but we're divided from those who do not. And this is important because what we're trying to communicate is that there is one day a final judgment that will happen. And those who do not put their faith in Jesus will miss out on that joy that John is writing about. So think about this, this unity and division at the same time, we're united but we're also divided. And 
during that short time that we take communion, it's really interesting because while there is unity and division on display, there's also an invitation. There's also this, hey, you can be a part of this. If you place your faith in Jesus right now, you can be a part of this. This is not an exclusive club that's forever limited. No, you can be a part of it. There's an invitation. That's what John is saying. Hey, I write these things so that you might join our fellowship. If you're not a part of this, get in. Become one of us. I think communion is just a, a real treasure that the body of Christ has. It's showing that we're united, showing that there's a division, and showing that there's an invitation for people to join, place their faith in Jesus. I think second application and we'll look at this passage more next week but 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and like I just want to share this so that you know like I'm not above what I'm saying like I'm not above this text I'm not I'm not preaching as though I have it all together Okay, so I'm going to share something, and hopefully you understand, like, I'm trying to apply this with you guys. So last week, um, I mentioned that my sister was, my sister-in-law was visiting from the UK, and, you know, from time to time, a lot of my family comes to the Twin Cities, and when they come, I get a little nervous if they're going to stay until Sunday. Because if they stay until Sunday, that means that they might want to come to CLC. Which is problematic, like if I preach, I don't like preaching in front of people that I know. <laughs> like, like what I mean is like, I don't like preaching like a performance, you know, like you guys know me, as a pastor, but they know me as like the three-year-old kid who is pooping in my pants, you know, things like that. Like, so I just want to preach to people who I know, but not like that know, you know? So anyway, when they come, I get a little nervous. I'm like, oh man, my sister-in-law was here. She was here for like two weeks, two Sundays at least, and she got sick both of those Sundays. And I was kind of relieved, like, yes, Whew. <laughs> it's like a stress-free Sunday for me. Because the problem is, like, you know, they step into a room like this. They're not Asian. So they're just like, what is happening? Why, 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 Thomas, are you doing this to me? And I'm just like, oh, this is my life. <laughs> like, this is what I've grown accustomed to. But they, they don't necessarily make that adjustment that quickly. So when they don't come, it's like stress-free. I ain't got to worry about what's happening. When they do, I'm like, hey, come on, okay, do this, don't do this, you know, they're gonna do this. I'm trying to like give them a speech and all this stuff. Like, I just wanna live my life and be free. The problem that I had to face as I was studying this passage is, I think there's something wrong with my heart at times. 
Like, there's something wrong with my heart. So, one, there's kind of this, like, divide with CLC. Like, oh, I don't, I'm not, like, like, I'm here, but there's a part of me that's so different that I'm just wondering how is this all going to work out. And there's, like, that question of, like, is, is this really, like, what's, what's happening when I come here? Like, do I turn Asian or, like, am I, like, what, what's happening? So there's always that question in my mind. But there's even a deeper sickness because I'm like, yo, you're not coming? Oh, great. I'm so happy. Go, go live your life. You're sick? Yes. So I, I thought about that because that's not what John is doing. He's not doing that. He's saying, I want you to be a part of this fellowship. This fellowship that we're enjoying, I want you to be a part of it. And what am I doing in response? I'm saying, yeah, it's not really convenient for me. It's not really attractive. It's not peaceful. So go, go away. Go somewhere else. A few things. The jury is still out as to whether couple of my family members are actually Christian. So in that sense, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hear God's word and love him and celebrate him. You don't have that? Well, okay, but I mean, I don't want to be awkward and I don't want to, you just live your life. I'm just thinking about that. How, how selfish that is, that there's a sense of me, there's a sense where I'm like, I don't know what your eternal destiny is, and this could be a chance for you to hear the gospel for the first time, but I don't want it to be awkward. So please, leave. Go somewhere else. That's, that's a problem. Second, you know, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, but even when everybody knows your name and there's still this division, that needs to be dealt with. Like, I don't know what divides you, what struggles you might have had to face, but when you see that division, when you see this, like, friction or divide, how do you deal with it? What do you say about it? How do you, how, how do you engage it? As long as we have sinful desires on this planet, we will experience some division for sure. But as we see it, are we willing to fight it? Are we willing to fight that discomfort? That's how I need to apply this passage. Like when I see people who are struggling to adjust to our church, you know, maybe it's a new student a new young adult, somebody who's not Asian, somebody who is, but is different. I need to recognize that and say, yo, let me try to make this comfortable for you. More than I say, what's in it for me? And then, on top of that, I need to recognize some of those division points in my own heart and say, 
What's keeping me from giving myself to a body, a fellowship like this? Now, the point is this. Like Ephesians 4 says, this is Paul speaking. I like the NIV. It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Do you see how other-focused this passage is? For me, I like to ask questions like, is it comfortable for me? What am I getting out of it? How will this benefit me? What do I want in this moment? But this passage, Ephesians, John, these disciples of Jesus are saying, what's in it for you? I want to maximize your joy. I want you to be happy. I want, what can I give you? How can I make your needs met? Like, how can I meet your needs? What, what can I give? And this is the heart of Jesus. This is why communion and fellowship with Jesus is so central to this letter that John writes. It's because Jesus was the one who said, I will give my life for you. So in response, it's weird if we say, I won't give my life for that person. That's weird. A community, a room full of people who say, I want to lay down my life for the sake of others is an amazing place to be in. It's amazing. And that's the heart that Jesus died to create. He died so that we might have reconciliation and unity and fellowship with one another. So I can ask evaluating questions like, what is drawing me to this fellowship? Is it Jesus and the work that he accomplished, or is it something else? So like, I just like friends. Friendship is not bad, but what unites a church is the accomplished work of Jesus. So we honor the death of Jesus by fighting to live in community, in fellowship with one another. Let me conclude this way. Um, this week, I don't know why, but I, I recalled a, an event that happened in 1996, 1997. No, no, no. 1993. I was six. And I was at a church service like this, and I saw the pastor, the speaker, drop to the ground. Um, later on, I found out that he had a heart attack, and I never saw him again. Like, I never saw him alive again. He died. I don't know if he died in the pulpit or if he died, like, in the hospital or in the ambulance, but he died. And I was thinking about that because, you know, my... Encounters with his wife are so encouraging. She's always like, yeah, when she talks about 
her husband. She's like, yeah, he died like preaching the gospel. He died sharing God's love. And that encourages me because I, I try to take preaching seriously these days. Like, okay, preach if, as if I will never preach again. That's what I want to do. Um, so as I've been meditating on that, I've been thinking, I don't know how much time I have. Like, I could drop dead today. So how do I think about the time that I have? What do I want to be the, what do I want to do in my last breath? Um, it'd be nice to do something for the Lord, you know, instead of like watching YouTube. So that's what's motivating me as I preach. But I think that can motivate all of us. As we live our lives, whether it's in our workplace, school, in our family, wherever it is God has placed us, what are we doing? What's, what's driving us? What are, we, what are we hoping to spend our lives for? And, you know, just like John does, he, he has this message that he believes in. He places his faith in Jesus. Like, let's do that. Let's, let's believe in Jesus. But then let's proclaim it. Let's not hoard it. Let's not keep it to ourselves as though we're the only ones who need it. No, there are others who need it. And then let's work hard to fight our desires so that we live in community together. Like, there are so many different things that divide a church. I am aware of many. But all of those things are able to be overcome because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Let's pray together. As I mentioned, this John writes this letter to bring people into the family of God. As they hear the message that he proclaims about Jesus, they are brought into the family of God by placing their faith in it. But he also wants to maximize their joy. Um, so let's, let's pray. However, however God is calling you to apply this passage and to think about different ways you can apply it in your own life, let's pray that God would help us to hear the message, to be proclaimers of the message, and to fight for unity. Um, whether that's fighting the sins in our own hearts or fighting to love those who are different than us, uh, let's, let's pray that God would help us. So let's take a few moments and We'll close with a song. Sing a song that um, the lyrics lyrics always resonate with me. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, seal it, seal it for your courts above. Um, it's crazy how Jesus sought us while strangers, wandering from his family. He sought us, he rescued us, and yes, we still have this battle, um, but God is able to keep us. He's able to unite us. So let's stand and we'll sing these um, truths out to God and to one another. So, uh, close our time in prayer. Um, 
So, you know, as we, you know, go into a new year, um, that's another new year for our church. And obviously, in the way that we want to grow spiritually, personally, we also want to grow together as a church. And um, you know, one thing that I'm more and more becoming thankful for is uh, the fact that uh, we have other pastors in our church. And I'm thankful for Pastor Thomas, who can definitely offer a different perspective on a lot of different things and because he is, you know, different, not Asian and things like that. And um, so I really uh, appreciate that. And uh, definitely, you know, there are a lot of different ways that we can grow together um, in our church. So, and then, you know, but it's a process and we want to continue to do that. Um, I think the text reminds me that a lot of those uh, uh, horizontal issues in the body um, exist because we're all sinful and selfish in our different ways. And um, But at the same time, reminds me that the solution is ultimately always with God uh, as we grow in our, our fellowship with God. Just um, the work of the Holy Spirit inevitably, naturally, allows our hearts to get bigger so that it can encompass a wider variety of people. Yeah. And the, the nature of that heart becomes different as well as we, as we become more and more like Christ. And, and uh, definitely thankful for Pastor Thomas just even demonstrating that, you know. Uh, a lot of times I can't imagine if the roles were reversed, how I would function in that kind of environment. Um, but definitely just a reminder that we can grow together so much more room to grow in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others. So as we close our time together, let's pray together for that. Let's pray that we would grow deeply in our love for the Lord. And then also we would demonstrate that in a million different ways as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts in our relationships with others. Let's pray together for that and I'll close our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that a new year brings. But even beyond that, beyond the calendar hope, we thank you for real, genuine, spiritual heart hope that comes through Jesus Christ as we realize that Jesus actually came to this earth and became a man and accomplished what he did in this life and on the cross so that we can have a real existing, ongoing fellowship with the God of the universe. And we thank you for the implications that that truth has in all of our relationships and in all aspects of our lives. We thank you that the gospel story can be applied in a million different ways every single day in our lives. We pray that you would help us to draw near to you and increase and, and uh, enrich our personal fellowship with you. And we pray that that would be manifested in our fellowship with others, and the joy that we are able to contain within our own hearts that can be expressed to others around us. Really help us to grow together throughout this year. May you be glorified as we pursue more of Christ. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect love, the love of the Father God, and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever. Amen.